Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Well, howdy ho, fellow sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriating the Culture. And we are back to our regular scheduled programming with our cultural analysis of the news, trends, and current events. On the docket today, we discuss the recent executive action to forgive student loans and the biblical text touted to justify it. I'm Pastor Shane, I'll be your loan consolidator today as we appropriate some culture. So as you are probably aware, President Biden, through executive action, laid out his student loan debt plan with this announcement. The cost of education beyond high school has gone up significantly. The total cost to attend a public four-year university has tripled, nearly tripled in 40 years. Tripled. Instead of properly funding public colleges, many states have cut back their support. We are just talking about that in the Oval. Many states have cut back support for their their state universities, leaving students to pick up more of the tab. It's possible I doctored that a little. Now, there's a lot of ways we could address this. Economically, is this the best course of action with already skyrocketing inflation? There's a general issue of fairness. Is it fair for those who didn't take out loans to pay for those who did? It's also a bit of a regressive tax break, as even according to the left-wing Brookings Institute, one-third of student debt is owed by the wealthiest 20% of households, while only 8% is owned by the bottom 20%. Not to mention the throngs of people like my household that had student loan and paid them off like suckers. Of course, I was only able to do that because, as you all very well know, after selling tens of tens of books online, I am a trillionaire. There's also, of course, a constitutional question. Does the president have the power to unilaterally dole out cash for student loans without congressional approval? Here's one constitutional scholar. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. Nevertheless, fabulous secret powers were revealed to Biden the day he held aloft his magic pen and said, I have the power. Only three others share his secret. Our friend, the sorceress, man-at-arms, and Orko. Did you guys watch Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe? I did. I liked it. Not gonna lie. But if I were president and I suddenly discovered that I had the power to magically forgive debt, I'd probably start with our national debt, which is currently at $30 trillion. My computer overheated just typing those zeros. But those who forgive little, love little. And after all, Jesus paid it all, because it's the year of Jubilee, and if you don't like it, you're the prodigal brother or something. Or so says Ryan Morota. Forgiving your son who ran away from home to blow his inheritance and celebrating his return with a big feast is a slap in the face of the sons who faithfully stayed by your side the whole time. I was going to lay into this about missing the point of the prodigal son parable, but wasting your father's money on wild living and wallowing with pigs is a pretty apt comparison to our modern education system. Others compared the loan forgiveness to miracles. Jesus' miracle of the loaves and fishes were a slap in the face to all the people who brought their own lunch. And then Jesus dispatched the Roman soldiers, commanding them to go into the countryside and seize people's food. If they resist, arrest them, because I am super generous. It's a miracle! 
Still others compared student loan forgiveness in general terms to biblical themes of debt forgiveness, and quite a few were all abuzz about the year of Jubilee, like Quintus 74689745. Isn't there something in the Bible about the Jubilee year, when long-term debts are forgiven and people can begin again? Student loan debt is the dead hand of the past dragging people down. Of course, it wasn't just random Twitter folks God-sanctioning this executive action. Here's Pastor Terrence Merritt. I don't have any student loans, but, but anybody with any ought to be rejoicing that God has removed some debt today. I, 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 I don't understand. People are upset. They say, well, I paid off mine. That's because you could. Hallelujah. And you ought to thank God you had the ability to do so. But some folk are having a struggle, and God has given them help. So thank God for the help. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to go in the comment section and say, Lord, I thank you for the help. Now they've capped how much of your income you can pay towards student get debt, now somebody's going to be able to buy the house they want. So all of you young people who've been blessed, all of you who got student loan debt that you've been blessed today, don't forget that in November. Why? What's happening in November? <gasps> Is this the Christian nationalism they've been warning about? So look, I have my political thoughts on this as well, but what I really want to do is to address the biblical arguments on this. What does the Bible say about student loan forgiveness? And the answer is nothing. It says absolutely nothing about student loan forgiveness. It does not address the topic at all. Now, forgiveness is certainly mentioned, and there are places in which debts are canceled, but not a single one of them has anything to do with this situation. Let's start with the year of Jubilee, which was all a big thing in the Twitter sphere. In the Old Testament, you have the year of Jubilee, which is the 50th year, and it's a time of rest, restoration, and celebration. In the 50th year, slaves were set free, debts were forgiven, property was returned to the original owners, and the land and the people rested. Now, this does, I think, demonstrate that there is nothing inherently sinful about instituting policies of debt forgiveness. It could be unconstitutional, it could be economically foolish, it could, it could exasperate rather than alleviate the problem, uh, but that doesn't make it sinful per se. But nor does it make it required. Christians are not obligated or obliged to be on board, and there's some pretty big differences between student loan forgiveness and the year of Jubilee. Number one, I'm not Jewish, and the United States of America is not in fact, the nation of ancient Israel. We are not under or bound to the Mosaic law. If you want the United States to be a theocracy, you have my attention. But you don't get to pick and choose what Mosaic laws you want to follow and which laws you don't. If we're bad Christians for not wanting this student loan forgiveness, then aren't we also bad Christians if we don't want to stone homosexuals? You can't have it both ways. Number two, with the Jubilee, the debt is forgiven, not transferred. The student loans here are not forgiven. The student loans are still going to be paid. They're just going to be paid by the people who didn't take out the loans. That's not the Jubilee. Number three, the Jubilee didn't give special treatment to certain debt. Student loans, but not credit card debt, not mortgages or car payments, just student loans. That's not the Jubilee. Number four, the Jubilee was not doled out arbitrarily or capriciously. It was established in the law and it was accounted for in their system, Leviticus. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. If you sell land to any of your own people or buy land from them, do not take advantage of each other. 
you are to buy from your own people on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee, and they are to sell to you on the basis of the number of the years left for harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price, and when the years are few, you are to decrease the price, because what is really being sold to you is the number of crops. They and their buyer are to count the time from the year they sold themselves up to the year of Jubilee. The price for the release is to be based on the rate paid to a hired worker for that number of years. If many years remain, they must pay for the redemption a larger share of the price paid for them. If only a few years remain until the year of Jubilee, they are to compute that and pay for the redemption accordingly. You see, everyone knew what the deal was when they made the deals, and the Jubilee was taken into account when formulating those loans. The rules didn't suddenly change on them. That's kind of different. This is not the Jubilee. Now, we do have some parables that specifically deal with debt forgiveness, like the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? That's a really weird parable because Jesus is using an evil action to spur wisdom and shrewdness and trustworthiness in people of the light. And there's a lot to delve in there, but for our purposes, uh, notice the manager is called dishonest, and he's equated to being worldly in contrast to people of the light. Student forgiveness might be wise worldly, it might be politically shrewd, but that doesn't make it moral or the proper action of the people of the light. Still, yet again, even that parable is not about student loan forgiveness, pro or con. How about this one? We have another case of debt forgiveness, Matthew. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Well, that debt forgiveness didn't work out so well, but it was still debt forgiveness and not transference. Even in this case, the master forgives the debt. He doesn't grab somebody else and say, hey, you pay us debt. Oh, but isn't that what Jesus does for us? Jesus does pay it all. He pays the debt for our sin as we say, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or as April A. Joy put it, bold of Christians to be mad about student debt forgiveness while professing a faith that is literally based on forgiving debts. Ah. Well, maybe that's because Christianity is literally not about forgiving student loan debts. The Bible literally says nothing about student loans. All of these mentions of forgiveness is in relation to sin. The imagery of debt, indebtedness, and forgiveness is about sin. Those parables are about sin and our need for forgiveness for our sins, not our finances. Taking out a student loan isn't a sin. Paying off your student loan isn't a sin. And yes, even the government helping out people with their student loans isn't sin. Now, maybe this action arguably is because it violates the Constitution, which is breaking the law, which is sin. But an act of Congress wouldn't be. We get into this very nasty habit of saying, unless you agree with my particular policy prescriptions, you're a bad Christian. Like this tweet from David Weissman. But I thought Christian Americans are supposed to help the poor. See, if you don't agree with student debt transfer, you're a bad Christian. Now, obviously, Christians, and not just American Christians, are supposed to help the poor. But this is conflating ends with means. Just because I don't like the way you want to help the poor doesn't mean I'm against helping the poor. We can agree about the ends without agreeing with the means. And by the way, if you're single and making six figures, you're not poor. But under this plan, you'd still get a check from the government. Is it okay if Christians object to that or not? Nah? What's more, coercion isn't charity. If I see a homeless guy on the street and I steal your wallet to give him cash, that doesn't make me generous. That doesn't make me a good person. If anything, it makes me a bad person. The means matter just as much as the ends. And when it comes to government policies, in a democratic society, we can influence it with Christian ideals. But there's very, very few policy issues that have absolute moral clarity. I want to help the poor. It's a Christian thing to help the poor. So let's pass student loan forgiveness. But in doing so, we'll raise inflation, which hurts the poor. So then the Christian thing to do is just because we disagree with the means doesn't mean we're against the ends. College and student loans is a real problem and it ought to be addressed, but any kind of supposed Bible proof text for your particular policy prescriptions is more often than not bad exegesis at best. It simply does not address the topic. Alrighty, well, that went long, so real quick, this is the last ATC on TCC's media channels. If you want to keep watching these videos, you need to subscribe to the Appropriate in the Culture YouTube channel. Type Appropriate in the Culture in quotation marks in the search field on YouTube, and it should pop right up. You can also join my author's Facebook page or follow Appropriate in the Culture on Instagram. A follow gets you a follow. If you listen in podcast form, you can subscribe to Appropriate in the Culture on your favorite podcast app. And I'll see you next week for more Appropriate in the Culture. Thank you
Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.